Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. Open up to Ephesians chapter 1, please. I'm actually going to read the whole chapter to us this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet 
and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Well, there's a hundred sermons in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm only going to preach one of them. And in particular, I want us to look starting in verse 15. This, you really can't understand what he says starting in verse 15 unless you've read everything that comes before it. So that's why we read everything that came before it. But what he's doing here in verse 15 is he's beginning to talk about his prayer for the people of God, the Apostle Paul. He is going to pray for, for us, for the people of God. And that is really the first thing to note about this passage, okay? What he's going to say here, what he's going to pray here, is for believers. It's for Christians. It's for people who have faith, right? He says in verse 15, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus. He says down in 19, toward us who believe. So all of this is only for people who have faith, right? People who have true faith. Because the thing is, um, there's all kinds of people who profess faith but don't have true faith. There are all kinds of people who say, remember what Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all kinds of amazing things in your name? And he says what? I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. There are all kinds of people who profess faith. The kind of faith he's talking about here is not a dead faith. Remember what James says. You say you have faith but have no works. That faith is dead. That's a dead faith. It's not the kind of faith that saves you. And you know what else James says? There is not just a dead faith, there is also a demon faith. He says you believe... God, that's great. Good for you. The demons also believe and shudder. Much of the faith that many have is a dead faith or a demon faith, but we don't even have the good sense to shudder. It's flippant, it's nominal, it's shallow, it's dead. He's not talking about those people when he's praying here. He's praying for those who have true faith. And the reason we know he's praying for those who have true faith, well, partly because of what he says at the very beginning of 15, right? He says, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which, which exists. So for this reason, in other words, he's pointing back to everything he just said at the beginning of chapter one. He's talking about those people. He's he's assuming that the people he's writing to and praying for are those people. People who have have known the forgiveness of sins. People who who have been chosen and set apart by God from before the creation of the world. People who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. 
right? But also, look at this in verse 15. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and what? And your love for all the saints. Remember how the Apostle John says, look, you say that you believe in God, you say that you love God, right? But you hate your brother. What are you? A liar. And you don't practice the truth. The truth is not in you. If you say you believe, you say you love God, but you, but you don't love your brother, what does that mean? It means you don't love God. You don't believe God. You don't know God. The, the fruit, the overflowing fruit and evidence of true living faith is love. Not just love words, but love. True love, right? Seeks the good that has warm affection for. Who? Who does it say? Do you see what he says? The love, your love for who? All the saints. Not just the ones here, not just the ones that you happen to like who are here, not just the ones who like the same stuff you like who are here, right? But all of them, all of them. The ones who rub you the wrong way, the ones you think are weird. Oh, come on, we're full of weird people. The weird thing is that we're all here together. That's what's weird. You love all the saints. Whether they agree with you about all the things, whether they, you know, have all the things in a row just like you do, right? <laughs> no, all of them. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is the fruit of true faith. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians, what matters is faith working through love. Faith works itself out in love. Both for God and for your neighbor, right? This is what he's talking about. This is true faith. And he says this. So he, he notes, okay, I see that you have faith. You have true faith. I've heard of this. The evidence of your true faith is that you love all the saints. And so what does he do with that news? What does the Apostle Paul do? Verse 16. Well, I don't cease giving thanks. What's the next word? What's it say? What's the next word? Giving thanks for you. Not giving thanks to you. What does that teach us? He's not thanking them for their faith and love. He's thanking God for their faith and love. Because their faith and love come from God. Your faith, if you have it, comes from God. It's a gift. It's what he says in chapter 2. Right? We've been saved by grace through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. If you have faith, it's the gift of God. 
And the love that flows out of that is the work of God. And so he says, I hear, I've heard about this, your faith, your love, and I haven't stopped giving thanks to God for you. When we see true Christians having true faith, living that out in love, what does it make us do? It makes us praise God and acknowledge that he's the, he's the fountain of all of that. The other thing it makes us do is pray. This is interesting because we, we tend to pray for people who we think are weak or struggling or like in a bad place, you know, which we should because their only hope is God. And yet, in this case, these are people who have faith and their faith is being worked out by love and that makes him want to pray for them. Very interesting. Well, what is the prayer? What is it that he prays for us? It's right here at the heart of this passage, 17, 18, and 19. He's going to tell us exactly what he's praying for. Okay? So verse 17. That, okay, here's the prayer. That, I'm praying for you, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, notice what he calls him, the only true God, the only God, the true and living God is always and only the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. If, if whatever doctrine you have from whatever religion or group or whatever doesn't have Jesus, you don't have the true God, period. You understand? The true God is the God of our Lord Jesus. So he's praying to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the origin of glory, the glorious Father, the Father who invented, possesses, shines with glory, that God. I'm praying to him. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. What is he praying for? I'm asking that he may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now this New American Standard makes spirit a small s here. You see that? I think it is talking about the Holy Spirit. This is the kind of thing that only the Holy Spirit can do. This is the kind of thing that the Holy Spirit does. He gives this gift. He's asking that God the Father, the Father of glory, would give you a spirit of wisdom. Wisdom is more than just, um, you know, book, book learning right? You can learn uh, from the manual how to, how to, you know, change the brakes on your car, whatever, right? You can read that in the book, but there's the wisdom that knows this, this bolt is going to break <laughs> if I don't do something, right? Or this bolt is cross-threaded and you know, the book didn't tell me that, but I can, I know it, and I know what'll happen. You know, that's wisdom, where you take the knowledge and you apply it to real things. That's, that's what he's praying for. Wisdom, 
a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Revelation is the kind of knowledge that you cannot go out and find on your own. You can't seek it out from your senses. You can't just find it in your reason. It is something that has to be given to you by God. There is a a kind of knowledge that you cannot get on your own. Totally dependent. You are totally dependent on God giving it to you. And your life depends on this knowledge, this revelation. It is the knowledge of God. Do you see that? I pray that He, God, the Father of glory, would give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, of Himself. God has to reveal Himself to you. All the scientists and all the philosophers and all of that cannot find this knowledge. It cannot be gotten apart from God. And God makes it known to whoever he wants to make it known. He goes on in verse 18. He's really just continuing to tell us about what the prayer is. And it's this prayer for knowledge. Then he says that the eyes of your heart, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You all know that you have eyes in your heart, right? You've got the eyes in your head. You've got the eyes of your heart. What is that talking about? It's talking about the capacity that God has built in to every man and woman and child, everyone who bears the image of God. The capacity to see, right, what you can't actually see. We, we use this all the time, but often we use it for lesser ends, right? I mean, think about it. This is really your imagination. Whenever you imagine something, it could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing. It could be a fantasy that's really wicked. It could be, you know, a daydream. It could be whatever. The, whenever you see something that you can't see, you're using this capacity that God has built into you. But it's clouded. It's clouded in us. And we will imagine all kinds of things that have nothing to do with this. And so he asks, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That God would throw on the lights, right? That he would shine the light, cause us to be able to see something so that we will know something. See how he says this? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know. Well, what kind of knowledge is he talking about? He's not talking about the knowledge we get from our senses. He's not talking about the knowledge that just kind of somehow comes packaged into our brain, right? 
He's not talking about knowledge that we learn in some textbook. He's not talking about a shallow, superficial, outward knowledge, a theoretical knowledge. He's talking about true knowledge, experiential knowledge, deep knowledge. Not demon knowledge. They know. Not that kind of knowledge. Not theory knowledge. Jonathan Edwards. Remember Jonathan Edwards? Pastor in the 1700s over in New England. And he talked about this. He thought about this. And he said it like this. There is a kind of knowledge that we can have that is purely theoretical, right? So, and the, the example he uses is the knowledge of honey. Honey. So you've got the honey pot, right? Little Winnie the Pooh's honey pot, right? You see it oozing off the side. You got this honey pot. Um, you can know all kinds of things about honey, right? You can know what it's made out of. You can know uh, that it has... You know, it's made, what is it, the spit of bees or something? Crazy. Uh, You know how the the bees go out and they find the, they do the little dance, right? And then they, tells them where to go and they all go and they get this pollen and they bring it back and it sticks to their legs, right? And they bring it back and they, whatever they do, they chew it up and spit it out and then we, we gather it, we put it in the honey pot. And you can be the expert about honey, the foremost expert in the history of the world about honey. But have you tasted it? You know? Have you tasted it? Have you stuck your paw down in the honey pot and like, you know? That's the the difference of the kind of knowledge we're talking about here. You can have a knowledge... A kind of knowledge about God, about the things of God, the the Word of God, the truth of God, and have never tasted it. Just never tasted it. It's just like theory to you. This is a great danger for us, brothers and sisters. It's, It's a greater danger for your children, for our children. It's a great danger for you, children. You understand why? Because we talk about these things all the time. We, we give you the books. We give you the lessons. We, we give you the, you know, the catechism questions. And you can know all these things just perfectly right. You can always know the right answer. But it's all just out there, you know. You haven't stuck your finger in and tasted it. You don't know what it actually tastes like. So he's praying for a certain kind of knowledge. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you would know truly, deeply, experientially, taste, feel, okay, that kind of knowledge. That you would taste this. We'll taste what? Three things. Starting in 18 and 19, look at what he says. That you will know, number one, What is the hope of his calling? He wants you to taste 
the hope of his calling. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean, his calling? Well, really, this is one of the reasons I read everything in Ephesians 1. It's everything he says up to this point. It's all this stuff that he talks about. To be, your calling is uh, what it means to be a Christian. Not a nominal Christian, but a real Christian. Look at what it, just look up the page, right? It's to have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places given to you. It's to have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world, to have his love that never started fixed on you and it will never end. To have that, it's to have, to be set apart as holy and blameless. It is to have adoption as sons. To be adopted into his family as a son. It's to be the recipient of the kind intention of his will. It is to have redemption through the blood of Christ. To have your sins totally forgiven. This is your calling. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means to have the riches of his grace. Did you hear what it said? The riches of his grace metered out to you in a nice, stingy, miserly fashion, right? No? To have the riches of his grace lavished on you. Beyond all reason. It's to be given a knowledge of everything that he's up to in the world. It's that weird verse in chapter 1 up above where it says, where is it? 9, 10. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, Christ, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heaven, things on earth. What is, that means he has told us exactly what he's doing. He is summing up everything in Christ, and he's made us a part of that. That is our calling. And he says he's given us his Holy Spirit, sealed us with the Holy Spirit, the pledge of our inheritance. This is what he's given to us. This is what it means to be called. This is your calling. It's a very high calling. That's why he says later in chapter 4 that we need, we need to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. That's another sermon. That's a very high calling. So what does he say? He wants us to know what is the hope of his calling. What is hope? You know, the way we think about hope, the way we use that word, is not the way he's using it. The way we use it is wishful thinking. You know? I hope it doesn't rain. The clouds are gathering, you know, and it's... I hope it doesn't rain. Well, it's going to rain, okay? (laughs) 
But I hope it doesn't. I hope I get that job. You know? I hope, I hope she says yes. That's wishful thinking hope. That's tentative. It's uncertain. It's maybe less than 50-50. You know, it's like, oh, oh, sure would be nice. You know, that's not the kind of hope he's talking about here. That's not the Christian hope. That's not the hope of your calling. Here's what the hope of your calling is. He talks, the, the author of Hebrews puts it this way. In Hebrews 6, listen to this. 6.17 In the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Does that sound like wishful thinking? A hope both sure and steadfast. That's the kind of hope he's talking about. Sure, steadfast, rock solid, like an anchor. It's impossible for God to lie. There is no uncertainty about this. In one sense, it's future, so that's why it's hope, okay? But it's not uncertain hope. It is as certain as Jesus Christ himself, the word of God itself, the oath of God. He's not lying to you. All right, so he prays that you would know what is the hope of his calling. Number two, verse 18. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? All through here, he's just, he's just like, he can't find enough words to pile on. You know, the riches of the glory, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. The Bible talks a lot about what we inherit. What the people of God stand to inherit. Things like promises. All of God's promises. Things like a blessing. Things like salvation. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Which is really, look at what he says. It's the riches of the glory of his inheritance. So think about it like this. What, what does Jesus stand to inherit? Ask of me and I'll give you the ends of the earth as your possession and the nations as your inheritance. Psalm 2. What does Jesus stand to inherit? Everything. And it's his inheritance that we get to inherit because we're one with him, right? We are in him. We have union with him. So it's the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Listen to this. 1 Peter 3, 
No, First Peter 1, starting in verse 3. Listen to how Peter describes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There's that hope again, right? The living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's your inheritance. It's imperishable. It won't rust. It won't rot. It won't be stolen. It won't diminish in value because of inflation. No one's going to tax it. It's yours. Reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. This riches of the glory of his inheritance. He wants you to know it, to taste it. And then third, verse 19. What is the surpassing greatness? The incomparable, incalculable greatness of his power toward us who believe. He wants you to know that. Well, okay, what are you talking about, Paul? What do you mean, power? What kind of power are you talking about? Well, he tells us. And again, this is a place where the translation gets a little goofy, but see where it says these are right there? You see that? See how that's not? If you have your Bible open, those are in italics in the New American Standard. So he just... Translators try to take long sentences and make them short because they think we're stupid. He's just going on. So really it's like, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe according with the working of the strength of his might? He's, telling, he's talking about this power. What is this power like? How big is it? What's it do? Well, look. It's the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. What kind of power did it take to raise Christ from the dead? Um, strong? Great? Surpassingly great? Mighty. But that's not all he did. He didn't just raise Christ from the dead. He raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So this is resurrection power and ascension power, right? It's the power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at God's right hand. And it's dominion power because look what it says, 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, 
This is funny because he says, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. See, we tend, we, we, we get this backwards. We're so prone to get this backwards. We think, well, of course he has power in the age to come, but he has no power now. The Apostle Paul takes his power now for granted. Not, not only in this age. I know you all know that. But look, also in the age to come. And, 22, he put all things, all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, brothers and sisters, listen. What do, what do we need to learn from all this? Well, here's the thing. I, we live as if we are hopeless, impoverished, and weak. That's how we live. That is how we live. We look at this stuff and we think, what in the world is he talking about? Right? Right? We think, oh, what in the world is he talking about? This is just, you know, I don't know. This, this is the Apostle Paul going down this weird kind of charismatic thing, and I'm not into that. And I, don't, I don't know what he's talking about. Because I wake up every morning and I feel hopeless. And I feel uh, poor. And I feel weak. Notice, how, do, how does he word this stuff? Okay, look at this. When he's praying for these things, uh, is he praying that we would have these things, that these things would be given to us? Does he say, I pray that... Um, you would receive a calling. No. Does he say, I pray that you would receive the riches of the glory of his inheritance? Does he say, I pray that you would receive this power that raised Christ from the dead? Because some Christians, you know, special super Christians have, you know, they, they get shot up and they, they got it special, but most of us don't. I'm praying that you would receive these things. Is that what he's doing? No. He assumes we have them because we do. Because we're in Christ. What he prays for is that we would know them. That we would know them. That the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. That we would see the problem, our problem, is not that we don't have these things, is that we don't know these things, we don't taste them. And so we are, we're like, we're like the heirs, we are the heirs, right, of this vast kingdom of wealth and power. But we're in, and we're in the storeroom, the treasury, 
the treasure house, right? But, our, but the lights are off. And we're just fumbling around. I don't know, all this stuff just feels like stones. I think I must be in the dungeon. It's, we're not in the dungeon. <laughs> These are the riches of our inheritance. Right there. We literally have them in our hands. But the lights are off. The, the, the eyes are glazed over, right? We're dull. God knows that. That's why the Holy Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Paul to pray this prayer and to write it down for you, for us. This isn't, it's not, I don't want to say it's normal for us to be in the dark about these things because that would mean, you know, normal kind of means right. You know what I'm saying? It's not normal, but it's oh so very common. And he knows it. And so he puts this prayer in here <laughs> to open our eyes. And he puts this prayer here for us to pray for ourselves, for one another, for our children, for all who profess faith, who have faith. So we live as if we're hopeless, impoverished, and weak, but we're not. Our problem is not that we don't have these things. He has given you everything you need for life and godliness. The problem is we don't taste them. We don't taste and see that the Lord is good. Here's another thing we do and why we need this is because we live as if this is the devil's world. We live as, this, as if this is the devil's town. Is it the devil's town? Remember what we just read? When he's talking about the power, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, what kind of power? Well, the kind of power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. What else? Well, the same kind of power that seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Oh, that's very spiritual. Has nothing to do with here, though, right? Because he just reigns in heaven, and that's very sweet, and someday maybe we'll get to go there. And... No. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that's named, not only in this age, but yes, this age, but also the one to come, and... He has put all things in subjection under his feet. So, what is not put in subjection under his feet? What is not put in subjection under his feet? Nothing. Nothing is not put in subjection under his feet. Which is to say, what this says, everything is. This is true. How could it be in any other way? When he was raised from the dead, remember what he said? All authority in heaven 
and on earth has been given to me. And what he is doing, what he is doing is reigning until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. That's what scripture says. He has, not will, has put all things in subjection under his feet, gave him his head over what? All things. To the church. Well, I think what that really means is for the sake of the church. He is ruling over nations, kings, judges, thunderstorms, tornadoes, viruses, cancer. You name it. He is ruling as head over all things for the good of his church. Sometimes that means persecution. Sometimes persecution is the best thing for the church. He's not asleep at the switch. He is ruling over all things for the good of his church. The church is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So, This is not the devil's world. You are not, if you have faith, you are not in bondage to the devil. You are not in bondage to your sin. You have the power of God. The power of God that raised Christ from the dead. And oh, you think your lust is, is a match for God? Your envy? Your pride? Your laziness? Your bitterness? You think those things are stronger than death? Yeah, I know, it raised Jesus from the dead, whatever. You know. But I am the, in the grip of sin. Yeah, I know. surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. So what do we need to do with this? What do we need to do? What does the Apostle Paul do? He prays. He prays. This is, what, this is what we have to do. <laughs> this is, he has put this prayer here for us to teach us how to pray, to teach us what to pray for, to teach us why we need to pray for these things. We're dull. We're dark. It's not that we need to have these things. We have them. It's just that we need to see them. We need to taste them. We need to feel them. And so we pray. The only one who can give us this is God. The knowledge of these things the taste of these things. And this is a prayer that we can absolutely pray with complete confidence that God will answer. Because Jesus said, if you pray for anything in my name, if you pray for anything in accordance with my will, 
I'll give it to you. Well, yeah, but how do we know this is his will? Because the Holy Spirit inspired it. (laughs) It's like saying, I don't know if praying the Lord's Prayer is his will. Does he really mean it? Should I really pray that his kingdom would come and he'd forgive me and I'd, you know, have my daily bread? I don't know if that's in accordance with the will of God or not. It might not be. Maybe he doesn't really mean it for me. Come on. Pray. Pray. You might be afraid to pray this prayer because of what might happen if you do. Because that means you're going to have to be done with your darkness. But we like our darkness. It's kind of cozy sometimes. No. Pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would see the hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance in the saints, the power, the great, exceedingly great, surpassing power that's at work in you who believe. Pray for this. Now, one last thing. Like I said at the beginning, this is for those who have true faith. There are many in this room who do not have true faith. None of this is yours. None of it is yours. So what should you do? Well, you should pray for faith. It's a gift of God. He'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your mercy. In your great kindness, Lord, the lavishing grace of your mercy and kindness, would you pour out on us this knowledge. Open our eyes. Let us taste and let us see. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.